0: About 10 years ago in Daravolgi where I lived with some of you, um, probably not that particular time, um, we always had, every year we had an end of year service, but this particular year the theme I took was trying to, you always in your end of year service tried to, what could I send the ones who'd left off with uh, into the rest of their lives? And so I, I started with two quotations that I want to start with today. That seem appropriate. One was actually given to me by Chris Fry here at the front, uh, <clears throat> an American songwriter called Mark Eitzel, who said these words, "Ulter boys look good and lace, but they are not known for their guts or nature. Goodness is not some pretty picture you paint. It's shaking your fist into the face of danger. Goodness is not some pretty picture you paint. It's shaking your fist. Into the face of danger. So I took that quotation and then I added to it. That bit in Braveheart. Where they're not actually in Scotland in the movie. They're down the currah. But you don't know that. I think some of Chris's. He saw one of his friends in the front of the Scottish army. And uh, he was Irish and all that. Well not going to the politics of it all. William Wallace. Mel Gibson's riding about on his horse. Doing all those kind of macho things that Mel Gibson does. And he comes over as they're getting ready to fight these English Uh, tyrants and um, he says to them um, gives them this speech something like somebody must have given the Irish rugby team yesterday what happened there and um, just before they're about to fight he's riding up and down giving them this speech and as he as he stops and he's about to head off this guy says to him fine speech now what do we do Now, when you think about that, it might not have been such a fine speech because if he didn't tell them what they were going to do in the speech, maybe um, that wasn't the best speech you've ever heard. But he says, fine speech, now what do you do? And Wallace turns to them and he says, just be yourselves. And then the guy answers back, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to pick a fight. So here we have these two things. Shake your fist in the face of danger. I'm going to pick a fight. And we hear Paul, at the end of this series we've been doing in Ephesians, coming to his conclusion and saying finally, but not going on as long after as finally as he does in the book of Philippians. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realms. Shake your fist at the danger. Go pick a fight. Be strong. Stand firm. Because you're struggling against more than flesh and blood. And so as I was thinking back to that Derivoghi end of year. I was thinking it's a bit like an end of series sermon. We've been through this book of Ephesians with the help of Eugene Peterson. And we've learned that for for God it's about more than being born again. That's very important. But it's about growing up again. Can't get you to grow up again if you haven't been born. Can't get you to grow up again if you haven't been born again. But it's not about leaving us in the maternity ward. This book is Paul telling us that he wants us to grow up in the faith to the full nature of Christ, to full maturity in Christ. We've heard as we've done this book, as we've gone through this book, that God moves first. Remember back, we looked at Isaiah. Isaiah was ruined, a man of unclean lips. Uh, Among a people of unclean lips and he'd seen god and he was just sensing his ruin when god moved And we too realize that our salvation doesn't come from ourselves, but comes because god loved us first We love because god loved us God moves then we discover that in the midst of all this and if you want to go back through ephesians 1 My goodness, how blessed are we that we are all saints? Yes We are all saints Every one of us a saint in God and should treat each other as such and should start to reimagine ourselves as such not because we're perfect not because we're sanctified no 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 but because before God today because he moved first we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus we've seen that church is not what we do but what God is doing amongst us not what we do but what God is doing amongst us not trying to do something come up with some plan and ask God to bless it but finding out what God's doing because that's already blessed. We've discovered as we looked at the covenant of 100 years ago that that's not where we should find our unit, our, our identity in flags or in countries or passports, but that our passport and our identity comes when we burst through the waters of baptism into this a new identity in Christ. He and the work that he's done for us becomes that which is our identity. We've discovered, thankfully, as we go to build a, a hall behind us and somewhere, somewhere across the world, that what we imagine and pray doesn't come out of our poor human penury, but comes out of the plenitude of God's goodness to us. We've discovered that we need to imitate Christ. We've discovered that the church is messy, but it's where God's at and it's where he wants us to grow. I love the beach in Ballycastle. God and I have some great times on the beach in Ballycastle. But it's not a place to grow Because no matter how much I love the Torhead And the fairhead And the beach And the town nestled in there And the sunset coming over it And Rathlin Island just there And the green coming As much as I love all that And as much as I sense God in all that That doesn't hone me in my discipleship as much as it does to be living in a community where we don't get on all the time. Because you've got to learn to forgive, you've got to learn to love, you've got to learn how to relate to one another. Growth comes in Christ to the full stature of Christ only when it's done in the place of community and church. And then last week, Jonathan was telling us that we need to submit to one another and that this stuff that we've been reading comes alive where? In the marriage relationship, in the home, in the work relationship, in the place that we move around in the ordinary, heaven in the ordinary. And so after all of that, how would you conclude? Be yourselves. Shake your fist at the danger. Go and pick a fight. Put on the armor of god be strong and stand your ground first thing this tells us is this this is not malone golf club it's a nice course i've enjoyed playing it when i played it it's probably a lovely clubhouse nobody invited me in there and anyway i would refuse to wear the kinds of clothes you would need to wear to get into a sports hall You can't wear sports clothes, get into golf clubs. One of my issues, why I don't play it, but there we go. This is not a golf club. This is not a yacht club. This isn't a few people coming together because we believe the same kind of religious things. What Paul's telling us here is we're involved in so much more than that. We're involved in the danger that we need to shake fists at. We are involved in battles that we need to pick the right fights for. We need to stand firm. We need to be aware that we're not fighting flesh and blood, but something more. Tom Wright says that when he comes to preach this passage, that week seems to be just full of coincidences that get him more and more enraged. 21 miles per hour from Maryville Park to Elmwood Avenue. Who was that car in front of me? NNZ 4982. When you come to think about the wily ways and the schemes that are beyond flesh and blood, somehow things happen that week that you're not expecting it, so says Tom Wright. And Janice and I knew when we sent those on the fixes out that were telling us about our missionary vision and telling us about the new buildings that we were going to get thumped. Those are the times you know that there's something going on that's beyond the flesh and blood. If you want to go back, and by the way, if you're uh, been to come to Fitzroy for a wee while and you don't get on the Fitz you've got to sign up on the web page and if you sign up on the web page uh, then um, the website then that comes through to you but if you want to go back and read I don't want to have the time here now to to read all the different things that we are involved in the fight of out there don't think this is what Paul's talking about in here actually when we come to this text but we're involved so far today the injustices in India the injustices of women's aid there's battles that we've chosen to fight but you can take it from Mornington and the social justice town on one of the worst health wards in Northern Ireland, which is only 200 yards away from us. We don't need to go to India to see the injustices and the inequalities of growing up uh, and uh, living in a place called Belfast either. These are battles we're fighting, and the, the, the immigrant community and our evangelism there, and what we're doing in Botanic Avenue, Botanic School, the, the Queen students on a Thursday night as they walk past, on the way home what we're doing at uh, Anne's already prayed for in Cafe Forever and uh, London and STS down in the southern part of Argentina and the hospitals around Peter Marksburg all kinds of things that this congregation are involved in the battles of and I think when you're involved in so many things what Paul's telling us is that there's going to be something that's going to be a battle to fight against what does evil look like well it probably doesn't have horns and a tail but on the other side of it we shouldn't be so naive or to think that it's not there at all because it seems to be around us. Uh, Paul uses the same word for evil in this passage that Jesus used and deliver us from evil or at least uh, close to the same word. So when Jesus was saying that we should deliver ourselves from evil or that God should deliver us from evil we can't deliver ourselves from evil just as we've been praying along with Anne's leading. Then this is the kind of evil that Paul's talking about right here. Now Peterson doesn't think it's that stuff that we might think the devil would be doing. Sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, greed, or improper with the Lord's people, as is obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. Paul has talked about that in the previous chapter. This is about something much more subtle than that, because as I've said before to you, if the devil come in, we want to go back through and think about the gravedigger file by Oz Guinness, which was a book that was very influential to me in my time at university, or screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, we find these two great minds, Os Guinness and C.S. Lewis, trying to think, well, what is the devil's schemes? And they come up with this idea of the devil coming up with his strategies and coming up with his schemes and coming up with his subtleties and his wiliness as they come together and say, how do we target Fitzroy Presbyterian? How could we do that? We don't like this stuff they're doing all over the world. What will we do? Tell you what we'll do. We'll walk in the back of the church on Sunday morning and we'll come up to the front and we'll offer them drugs. I'm looking at you and most of you, most of you I don't think are going to take them. I'll not tell you the one or two that will be suspicious about. The devil's not going to come up there dressed like some immoral woman in Halloween with Short skirt and a tail and whatever else, and offers these things that we have already decided are not going to be part of our lives. So that makes it trickier for him. So what is he going to do? He's going to be wily. He's going to be subtle. He's going to be deceitful, and he's going to worm his way in amongst us. Because the only way that he can attack us, it seems to be, might be from within. That's the idea of the grave digger file, and that seems to come across in the Screw Tape letters by C. S. Lewis. And it seems to me, in reality, it happens quite a bit of the time. And so we've got to ask ourselves today, as we look at the wily schemes of the devil, we've got to ask ourselves, where are we victims of that? And where are we criminals of that? Where is the devil trying to target us? Where are those fiery arrows trying to hit us? And where might he be deceitfully, subtly, in wily ways, using us to fire the arrows. So what do we do about that? How can we make sure that we can hedge that, that we can protect that? Well, Paul says four times in the verses we've read today, four times in four verses, stand, stand, withstand, stand. And I think what he's really saying to us here is, You see all this stuff I've been writing in Ephesians? Be yourselves. This is who you are. This is the church of Christ. All these things we've just been over already in the service today. All the stuff in the first five chapters. Be yourselves. But if you're going to be yourselves, then you've got to make sure that you're alert to that. That you're aware of that constantly. It seems to me if we're apathetic or if we're fringe or if we just turn on our spirituality at certain times of the week or certain times of the day that when we do that, we get ourselves into trouble because the guard comes down. Because at that point, the fiery arrows can get through. We've got to stand firm. We've got to be alert. We've got to be aware of what's going on. So two things here, I think, that Paul gives us. And the first one is the gospel according to the Roman soldier. In Fitzroy, if you're a visitor, we do lots of gospel according to's. And this is one of them. The gospel according to the Roman soldier. Now, already at this, and I just throw this out as a, as a way for some of us who do these to, to just show that it's not some crazy idea that we have. That uh, Paul is not baptizing the Roman soldier here. In fact when you get into these battles and these wily things and there's a car traveling at 21 miles an hour for a mile and a half in front of you, at the same time, other things happen that are on the other side of the battle. And Scott McKnight put something up on his um, his, uh, blog this week, which was about the military and about the first two or three centuries of Christians in the military. And I'm going, that's really interesting when I'm talking about a Roman soldier today. And he would say, or the scholars that he was talking about would say that really there was no Christians who joined the military. Or were encouraged to join the military for the first three centuries of the church. That it was something that came in near the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth century. So what Paul's not saying here is, look at the Roman soldier. That's somebody you should be looking up to. No, no, no. He's saying, that's the Roman soldier I'm attached to by a chain. And so for the last number of hours and days and maybe weeks... I've been meditating on God and on the scriptures and on the ways of Jesus. And I'm just going to use, not him because he probably wasn't dressed up in all his armor, the guy that he was physically chained to, but his mates that are in the battle that everybody would have known about, everybody would see as an iconic idea, image in their culture. I'm going to try and use that to say to you, we need to be the same. If you go into battle and you, for one second decide to take off your helmet or take off your bulletproof vest or put down your weapon or your gun and you're on a battlefield, you are in trouble. And Paul is saying to us here that we need to keep all that is ourselves and our identity in Christ alert to it, wise to it, concentrated on it and focused on it. What are the things he talks about? The belt of truth. Believing that we have truth. Believing that there is truth. Believing that the truth that we have is that which can form our lives. Truth not just to think about, but truth to live by. Get that as the firm belt around your waist. Knowing that this stuff that Paul has been saying in these first five chapters, this is the truth that we base our standing on. Then he says a breastplate of righteousness. Now there's two things I think that are coming out there. The breastplate of righteousness at one level... Um, protecting us from all those fiery darts, etc., etc., can be the justification, again, part of our identity, who we are as Christians. Don't forget that you're righteous, not because of what you do, not because of what I do, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us. Hold that. Hold that in this battle. Hold firm to that, because once you start doubting that, then things begin to go astray. Then the wily ways of this evil start to cause doubts. But if you believe that God believes in you and that God has died for you and that you are his, then that's some breastplate to have. Boots that are ready um, with the, the gospel of peace. Peace allows us movement. When we're at peace about things, it's not happiness. Happiness is all about the happenings. But peace is something that no matter what the happenings are, You still have something deep in your soul that is at peace, that God is with you, that you are gods, that you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. And that shalom or that peace within allows us to actually fob off many of those mental, spiritual and emotional attacks that come our way. A shield of faith. Faith is believing in spite of the evidence and watching the evidence change, we said a while back. A quote from Jim Wallace. Faith is believing in spite of the evidence and watching the evidence change. Having a shield of faith to say, well, this is how it is, but there is something going on beyond this and that the evidence will change even though at this moment we might be in despair. The helmet of salvation. Keeping your head as uh, you're accused by... All kinds of things going on around you. Keeping your head... I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about this for days. To be perfectly honest, I've been in this for days. And can I just say, maybe at this stage, that it's fair to say I'm rushing through this. As you can tell, in five minutes, Martin Lloyd-Jones took 734 uh, pages over two volumes. And uh, I think 21 chapters just in the wily ways of the devil himself. So I'm really trying to get through this. Maybe we'll come back to it at another time. Um, Forgive me for this. But last night, as I was watching the football, and I was thinking, is that keeping your head? Is Rory McIlroy, when he sinks a puck? Keeping your head, because people will tell you in the sports field you can have all the ability you like, you can have all the skill that you like, you can be as fit as you've made yourself, but it's all in the head. It's all in the head. When you're running up to take that penalty and the goalkeeper's doing all kinds of wacky things to put you off, or the crowd are shouting abuse at you, how do you deal with it? It's all in the head. When you've got a three-foot putt to win the British Open, I had many of them when I was a boy. Uh, always said for the british open for the british open uh still haven't sunk one but uh, i tried plenty um what is it that's going to give you that ability to get that ball in the hole it's going to be keeping your head against all that might be thrown at you the salvation the helmet of salvation is that we are holistically saved by god and we need to keep that as our protection and the sword of the spirit the word for the argument The way that the word of God is not something that we open in a book but lives with us. Now we have to open it in a book so that it can live with us. But make sure our relationship with God is not just when we have the book open in our lap before us. Make sure our relationship with God's word is something that when we're in a situation that somehow your mind will flick through the pages of that book and give you wisdom as to how you can deal with that shaking your fist or that fight when that fight comes. The word of God dwelling in us richly in Colossians 3 and 16 that allows us in the moments of war, battle, danger or whatever else to see the truth, to know the gospel, to know our identity and to be able to make it that which is one of the weapons that we use against this evil. And then very, very, very quickly, pray in the spirit at all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Peterson who we haven't mentioned much of uh, in this particular talk in the whole book of practice resurrection prayer for him seems to be much more as I said the bible needs to be more than when it's open in front of us prayer for Peterson is much more than when we have our eyes closed and we're on our knees or when we're at a prayer meeting or when we pray intercession at church prayer for Peterson is a language that we use all the time it's a language that we use not only when we're talking to God, but a language that we use when we're talking to each other. It's bigger than just the intentionality of prayer times. However, what I want to bring out of that for Fitzroy this morning is this. Have we made the intentionality of prayer times too dramatic? Let me explain that to you. I would imagine that all of us this week will pray. Whether we're intentional about that or not. Something's going to arise during the week. And whether you think about praying or not. You're going to say. Lord help me with this. How am I going to see through this? Oh please Lord do this. There's other things. Work tomorrow. Something that's happened. The 11 plus. Something that's going on in your life. Something that's going on in your friend's life. What would that be like if you had a brother or sister. Or a couple of people around you. Just to pray it through with you. I think it would be helpful. So can I ask this, and it might not be the only reason, but I'm going to ask it anyway, I'm going to go for it. When we think about prayer ministry over here, and when very few of us use it, is that because we don't think that our crisis is big enough for prayer ministry? Maybe the ministry word is the word that causes us to think, well, I don't really need... What would it be like if somebody just turned beside you in the pew and just said, for your week, bless you. I'm fortunate in the world that I live in as your minister that people do that with me regularly in various ways. And it's a wonderful thing, because I think the prayer language that goes to God in prayer times goes to us as well. My most encouraging hour in the week is Wednesday lunchtime, when Rosemary and Emily and June Pat and Joy and Hilary come and pray with the staff. That's the time when their prayers go to God, but they also come across to me, and I come out encouraged. Do we need to have something major as a crisis before we'll pray with each other? Just a thought. We've got to think about. We've got to think about what we do in prayer as Fitzroy. Really. Is it one of those, it's not one of the weapons in the armour, Paul says here, but is it something that we don't cover those weapons and that armour with? How do we pray? Do we pray? How much do we pray? So today, what do I say to you as the minister? After this series in Ephesians, live this Ephesians book out. Be yourselves. Take this identity that Paul has given us in Ephesians and live it. And as you live it, make sure that you take on board as you live it. The truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and prayer. As those things that allow you to be yourself in the week that is ahead. There are battles out there. Shake your fist at the danger. There are fights we need to pick, the right fights. Let's stand firm. Let's stand against the wily schemes of the devil. Let's be a community that supports each other in that and moves forward, not what we're doing, but what God's doing among us. Let's pray. Lord, if the church is what you're doing among us, then Paul is wise to remind us that other things will be going on among us. Things that might cause fracture, friction. Things from the inside where we're least expecting it, that there might be a fiery dart from. We pray, Lord, that you will show us who we are in Christ. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be ourselves. We realize that all these pieces of the armor that Paul speaks about Not one of them is the ability that we have within ourselves. All of them are things that you have given to us as this entire letter has told us. This is about you working in and through and with us and not about us. May we go out this week aware that there are dangers to shake fists at. May we go out this week being aware that there are fights that we need to be involved in. May we go out this week standing firm, standing firm for you, standing firm in who we are in Christ as individuals and as a community. Lord, thank you for this armour. Lord, call us to prayer. Lord, send us in your strength to bring your kingdom in Christ's name. Amen.